um, that Justin just let us in just reminds me again of how, how powerfully these calls to worship that we share are an invitation into his presence. And that confidence, the presence of the Lord, his renewing, empowering presence, you can count on it. It's not a matter of feelings. It's the reality of who he is and his glory and his kingdom. We're going to read and rejoice together before our boys and girls are going off to their classes. And I'd like to invite you to read two sections from Scripture uh, that we'll connect here together is partly because we want to continuously be aware as a church family of the value of reading the Word of God aloud together. And the section in Psalms on the screen, page 828, is one that gives us a... <laughs> I'm in the wrong light again. 628. <laughs> 628. I see an 8 and a 6. Okay, so 628. But Psalm 19, it, it brings us to this understanding of, of, of the comprehensive sweep of Scripture. God's living word that touches every arena, not only of the heart, but of the nations of the earth. God is sovereign over this world, and his grace and power. Scripture says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. So when we come to Psalm 19, verse 7, reading aloud together, inviting our boys and girls also to be a part of this reading together. This particular section, by the way, I think it's just absolutely crucial for us, especially at this time with the culture literally just fragmenting and decaying around us. The, the corruption that is so rife in all forms of media is a reminder to us, this is our refuge. We've got to go to the Word of God, more precious than gold. So remember in verse 7 of Psalm 19 that... The phrases of the law of the Lord, the precepts, the statutes, all of those are synonyms for getting into your Bible, your Bible, the whole counsel of God. So we read together Psalm 19, verse 7 to 14, and note too that this psalm concludes on a confessional prayer and an aspirational prayer. We confess we need the Word of God to examine our mind and heart and motives and then offer the lips, the words of our lips to the Lord. Wonderful aspirational prayer that concludes this section. Let's read Psalm 19, 7 to 14 aloud together. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them... Your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse me from secret faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless 
and I shall be innocent of great transgression. And then all together, church, let's read this prayer. Lift it to the Lord from our hearts. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Psalm 1914, a great verse to start every day with prayer. Then we're going over to page 886 on Jeremiah 15, 887, the verse is on 887, and this is a part of the sustaining grace that God gave to this very challenged prophet. And we read it in verse 16 of Jeremiah 15, the way that that truth of Psalm 19 sustained the heart of this prophet under pressure. Prophet under pressure. Let's look at Jeremiah 15, 16. Your words were found, and I ate them, and your word was to me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. For I am called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. Let's read it once again and turn that page. Jeremiah 15, 16. Your words were found, and I ate them. And your word was to me the joy and rejoicing of my heart, for I am called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. I want to pray for boys and girls and teachers now, just before they go. Would you stand all the explorers, pathfinders, and thank you, teachers, each of you that take your turn in teaching, and of course to, uh, to, to Jody and Marcia who coordinate so much of the planning for this. And I'm going to want to give a praise report as well with uh, Marsha and her whole family on, off to a, a week over at, uh, over at Outer Banks. But uh, this last couple of weeks in Virginia has been phenomenal for the Christian Farmer Outreach booth there at the State Fair. Um, not only were there 500 responding to Christ at the Maryland Fair, but this whole week they've had just, uh, just an overwhelming response of people coming to the Lord and we give thanks to God as we keep this focus on individual hearts receiving Christ, that wonderful gift of the new birth. So we want to pray for every class now that that becomes so vivid and real for our boys and girls as they, as they learn the word. And today part of the theme is about uh, learning what it means to have that hope in your heart of knowing that Christ is going to return. Lord, I pray your blessing on the Explorers and Pathfinders classes today. Thank you for blessing each of these boys and girls. Lord, we know that in each of their lives, what we've just read in Psalms and in Jeremiah is absolutely life-giving because each of them are ready now to begin doing what Jeremiah said, eating the Word of God, <laughs> literally tasting the goodness of God's word. And so we want to thank you, Lord, that uh, it's far better than peanut butter and jelly. It's, par it's far better than your favorite hamburger. It's far better than French fries. It's far better than your favorite dessert. In fact, Psalm said, it's better than honey in the honeycomb. It's better than gold. It's God's word. And we thank you today, Lord, that in every class and in every gathering of this fellowship of believers, we're called to open our lips and our hearts to receive and digest the life-giving truth 
that equips and nourishes within each of us a passionate love for the true and living God that causes us to go into trouble and difficult situations in life and to know the word of God is alive in your heart, teaching and instructing and guiding and blessing you. Bless each of these boys and girls with a growing hunger to know the word of God. And we thank you, Lord, for every teacher and the dedicated time they spend in sharing and preparing. Thank you for great refreshing and blessing, too, on, on Jody and Marsha in their uh, coordination of the plans for this children's ministry. Lord, bless the children's ministry here at Liberty Church abundantly. Lord, we offer this day unto you and the month ahead that you would quicken in our hearts and our lives an awareness of the power of the Word of God working mightily in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. Well, just before you're seated, would you turn around and just give somebody a big welcome greeting, and uh, we're so good to see you share the peace of Christ. If we missed you, and uh, I missed you, Matt, and uh, God bless you. Hey, buddy. Hey. Hey. Missed you, Matt. Good to see you. How's it going? Good to see you, man. Great, great. All right. God bless you. We're all back to good, good. All right. Okay. You go right ahead there. <laughs> Mike, so appreciate you, man. God bless you, Mike. I hope you had a good I did. It was very good. We had some very, very good. Thank you. Thank you for your prayer support, too. Thank you very much. Okay. Today, as boys and girls go on out to their class, and we are sharing together uh, for your benefit, I pray, for inter informational purposes. I want to just briefly give us a little bit of a quick review while they're heading on down the hall. It's fine. Um, we want to just remind our, be reminded that throughout this month and really the, the fall season leading us up until just before Thanksgiving, we understand a wonderful thing. I like to talk about it here occasionally just from the standpoint of planting seeds. Mentioned this a couple of times before, but the Great Commission is great. It's awesome. It's, it's global. It's global. It's God's love for the world. And when we hear part of the Great Commission, uh, we're hearing the Word of God that touches the individual if you're sitting next to somebody in a cubicle in an office suite, or you're, you're squeezed into one of those airplane seats where you feel like they had to use a shoehorn to get you into that, into that seat, and you're next to someone, or a neighbor, or someone in need that you've encountered in an unplanned way, or a gift of love expressed through money, but not the matter of the money that matters the most. It's the love that that money carries that brings the good news of Jesus Christ to others as we stand behind missionaries and missions. And so I think of it like this, that in 2 Corinthians, when Paul said that you can excel in this grace of giving, that you can carry out this act of grace as an expression of the great commission, even in a small seed form way, the great commission is great. The Great Commission is Jesus saying, all authority is given unto me in heaven and earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples. So, in a way, every 
mission offering is like, okay, it's a great commission, now where do I start? <laughs> and we say as a, a small congregation, we say, start right here, start here. Because when we start with seed faith offerings to bless missions and ministries in the way that we're seeking to do, we're just sharing a little bit in something that is bigger than all of us. One of the things that I like to say about our church and our goal as a church is that, um, that we're committed to being faithful to that which is far greater than any of us and what any of us can imagine. So we're just doing a little focus on four areas of missions, and these are both some renewing focus, but also a couple of special situations. And again, just to keep everybody in a frame of prayer over these weeks, it would be great if you could just lift up the missionaries. There's some others I'm going to talk to you about later, but I'm trying to keep this as brief as I can right now. So we're going to focus on Operation Christmas Child, this opportunity that Hannah Eberly is going to lead and coordinate for us with the sample information on the table. And we have a little presentation about that on October 23rd so that everybody is on board. Lots of you have already done it, so you know what it's all about. Uh, but we're so glad to have um, uh, Jen Spangler come to share a little bit with us on October 23rd about the whole Carroll County endeavor. So that's one of the focuses very, very close to home. And then much further from home, across, across the ocean, Central Africa, as you, I'm sure some of you had a chance to visit with Janice last week to get questions answered about all the things that are happening with Challenge Farm. We love Challenge Farm, and there's a very significant transition going on right now that's just been so good to see. There's great things happening at Challenge Farm. Over 25 new students in the program, all receiving just a, a, a beautiful uh, kind of a comprehensive, I think of it as a 360-degree disciple-making, life-giving vision for every one of these wonderful children, boys and girls, many of them from the very inception of this ministry way back in the late 90s when Cheryl Sherry, the founder, and her husband who passed away suddenly in 2001, when they started it, they were rescuing children off the streets of Nairobi, many of them from uh, literally trapped in, in uh, glue sniffing and, and, and uh, vulnerability, all kinds of drugs and abuse. And this still happens, and they, they're a trusted ministry by the Kenyan uh, government, uh, the Nairobi government's governmental authorities. They've done a wonderful job interfacing with social agencies to make sure that kids get through this program and they get, they get the kind of care and the comprehensive help they need. So we've had the wonderful joy of walking alongside them, but it's, it's in a small way. We feel like our contribution is very minimal, uh, but we want to raise that. And... Um, for 20 years, we've supported the founder-director on a regular mission basis, and many of you have been involved in sponsorship or helping. This season, we especially want to be mindful of this need for the corn, and uh, <laughs> clicker's getting away from me again, uh, from the, for the corn. So the corn is $28 a bag, and we're just asking, inviting people to, to be a part of, of making a contribution. You could buy a, uh, you could buy a, bag of corn or 10 bags of corn or 20 bags of corn. So, to, so we're going to keep this going through this month. You can take an offering envelope if you'd like and just write corn or Kenya and any amount, doesn't have to be a multiple of 28, but any amount you want to put there goes to that directly. And then of course um, there are two crisis pregnancy centers that we're seeking to 
give support for. So we want to make it very easy. You can put it on a check or on the, on the envelope either way or both. You can just put babies. You know, it's all about the little ones. It's all about their lives, isn't it? And babies and moms, you just put babies or pregnancy center and we'll be sharing those resources as well. And then I just am so grateful that we can together, that we can come to this place and know that God is putting in all of our lives the opportunity to be connected to those who serve in regions that we can't personally touch. And that's, that's a wonderful part of the Great Commission. And um, what I am most enthusiastic about, though, is the fact that we can all have a part in the vision that is expanded and multiplied, that touches so many people's lives in such a wonderful way. Now, I want to invite you today in your Bible to turn to the book of Jeremiah, the 18th chapter. And uh, first again, I want to just thank Jim for ministering such a great word last week to bring the truth of Matthew 6.33 focused for us, seeking first his righteousness, his kingdom and his righteousness. And I just really appreciate as well the care that Jim and Sandy showed to uh, that period of time when Becky and I were, it was time for a break, and uh, I appreciate his passion for the Word of God, and I want to ask you to give Brother Jim a big hand of appreciation today for ministering the Word to us yesterday, and um, feed on that, feed on, that's a, that's a great memory verse too, by the way, one of the great memory verse, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. And now, in 18th chapter of the book of Jeremiah, I want to ask you to think about something that God gives to this prophet that can give each person here, I believe, a new sense of assurance that real, positive, lasting change can happen in your heart today. Now, I want to accent, first of all, this is a beautiful place for us to think about, Jeremiah 18, about the tender love and immediacy of God's guidance. So with your Bible open in Jeremiah 18, we're going to look at this passage in a moment and think about how God's individual and immediate attention can awaken you, redirect you, equip you, and empower you to see real, lasting change in your life. First of all, two simple phrases from the Old Testament, I think, are great background for this. And it's interesting that these, one is this voice of God directly in the first person speaking to David in Psalm 32. And then the next one is the prophet Isaiah reflecting what this immediate individual guidance of God does for him. And then we want to see the way he did this with Jeremiah. So just together, first of all, to hear the word of the Lord directly, in Psalm 32, the Lord says to the psalmist, I 
will guide you with my eye. It's striking that in that chapter, David has been reflecting on the joy of being forgiven, the freedom that comes when you know that every sin, every failure, every deficiency about yourself that you are often acutely aware of, that God has promised a kind of forgiveness that is a release that breaks you loose to be uniquely who he called you to be and can rid you of the heavy baggage of that guilt that comes in the depth of the night to bother you or torment you or to trouble your soul about some point of failure or some disappointment in your own life about yourself. And David is reflecting on the blessedness of forgiveness. And in the middle of that psalm on the blessedness of forgiveness, in the text, the grammar changes from the psalmist thinking of being forgiven to God's voice directly intervening. It's like as if suddenly the Lord himself enters the psalm. Now, we know all scripture is given by inspiration of God, so the entire psalm is the word of God. But God, in in giving David this psalm, speaks directly into his reflection. And and, and the, the grammatically changes. So we have... Saying, Lord, I'm, I'm so grateful that you're near and that you're here and that you've forgiven me and I'm, I'm discovering what that means. And then the Lord says in Psalm 32, 8, read it aloud with me, would you? I will guide you with my eye. I, I love that thinking about fathers and sons. I think about Justin and his kids. I think about each of you and your kids. I think about the joy I had with my sons, with Justin and Joel, and you think about the fact when kids are growing up, you know, a a, a parent's look sometimes is all it takes to know something needs to change, right? Now, we want to get kids to where they are responsive to that look, and it's not, but at the same time, there's something beautiful about this expression. It's like God saying, it's kind of like the ultimate father-son or father-daughter warm reminder of individual attention. God says, I will guide you with my eye. He, he's looking. He, a, a wise father is watching, cautiously, lovingly, guiding as he looks, as he watches. You think of the little ones especially. You know, when you got these little toddlers, like our, our grandson in uh, Pennsylvania, you know, your, your eyes are on them at every, at every moment, aren't they? You know, when they're, when they're 18 or 19 months, you know, your eye is hardly ever off them, Right? And, of course, when they're older, it's more figurative. You're, you're, you're watching them. You're, you're grateful for them. How grateful I am for Justin and Joel. I, can't even, I couldn't even begin to put into words how grateful I am for my sons. So your eye, but God is now saying there's an individual expression, an immediacy of God's presence. And this is in the Psalms where David has been tasked with bringing out what it will mean in the future when the gospel of Jesus Christ makes this truth available to every single individual on the planet. And then, now let's switch quickly to Isaiah and get that quote here. And here's Isaiah, and he says, 
he says, God, he says, God awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to listen. Now, your Bible is open in Jeremiah 18, and the reason I wanted to give you that background is that in Jeremiah 18, God relocates the prophet in order to get him to listen. Jer Isaiah had said, he awakens me that I may have the ear to be aware that his eye is on me. Even when he's silent, he's, in a sense, speaking. That is to say, God's guidance is individual and immediate and personal, and it does not depend upon our feelings. It does not depend upon a phenomena. It does not depend upon hearing an audible voice, though most of us, many of you would sign up for that if they were taking orders. But God shows us this invisible but individual and immediate intimacy that he's promised to the hearts of his people. And then in Jeremiah's case, he relocates Jeremiah so he can listen. And I believe embedded in this is a truth that I hope we can grasp as a reminder of how precious it is to be receivers of the Word of God. Read aloud with me this one section from Jeremiah on the screen. Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will let you hear my words. Now, it's a striking turn of phrase in Jeremiah 18, verse 1, where God is about to show Jeremiah, who is a prophet under enormous pressure, what the word of the Lord can mean immediately, immediately, to anyone who will receive it. In Jeremiah 18, look at it in your Bible, it says, the word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, now notice this, the word of God is traveling. <laughs> the word of God is in motion. The word of God is not just static like we read it as a part of our experience of reading the text, but that is the tangible contact point God's given us for the fact that he, the living God, means what he says, and he's present tense with his word. Now, why would that matter to us? Let's take a quick parenthesis to think about. Why would that matter to us in a time of temptation or stress or difficulty or adversity or trouble or pressure? Like Jeremiah's classic case under enormous pressure. Well, for one thing, Jesus himself is the model of how it would be when you face the ultimate in adversity and pressure. For we know that in those, those crucial hours, in the 40 days of fasting in the wilderness, when Jesus was, humanly speaking, pressed to his ultimate extremity and tempted by Satan, that Jesus' answer when Satan tempted Jesus 
to try to misuse his power by turning the stones into bread. Jesus said what? Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that what proceeds from the mouth of God. That wonderful promise of Deuteronomy indicates God's word is active. Yes, we read it on the page. And God gave us scripture, breathed with his very breath of life, so that we would always be able to go to the Bible, like we saw in Psalm 19 this morning, and say, Lord, let your word shape me. Law of the Lord is perfect, converting my soul. The statutes of the Lord are true. The fear of the Lord is clean. May it wash me when I read your word. But, but, the fact is, we all know there are times when we're not in the right frame of mind to really be listening. <laughs> Uh-oh, is that true? Is it true in marriage? <laughs> is it true in marriage? Shout somebody, yes. Is there, are, there, <laughs> are there times, can we have some fun today? Are there times when you and your, your spouse, you know, you're in normal things going on, and, you, and something happens, and she says, you didn't listen to me. Come on. Come on, guys. Is it not true? Because, is it true the other way? Is it true the other way? Yeah? He's not, she's not listening. Okay. Now, so I was gender neutral there. Do you see what I did? I balanced it. No. But, but it's true, isn't it? I mean, anybody you would share life with, you're gonna, there are going to be times when you're going to say, I didn't even hear what you said. Isn't that right? Well, in a natural level, if that's true, how much more is it true in our relationship with God? There are times we're walking along, we're, we're conducting our business, we're going here and there, we're working through problems, or, or we're having fun, or whatever we're doing, but, but we're not really listening to God. And, and the interesting thing is, there are times when we so need to have an immediate impact of the Word of God in our situation, and yet we're blithely going on pretending that the mighty truths of the Bible are a backburner issue, but they're never a backburner issue. The Word of the Lord, we, man does not live by bread alone, but by the Word that proceeds, right? It's proceeding, it's, it's active, it's in our lives. <laughs> so, there's a striking turn in the text here. Arise! And go to the potter's house, and there I will let you listen. I will, I will open your ears in a different way. And what is really striking about that is that he needed to see in order to hear. Jeremiah needed a different kind of vision. He needed to see in order to be able to listen. And to get him to see so he could listen, God relocated him because Jeremiah needed to see something very common, very ordinary, very pedestrian, a, a common scene in the village of Anathoth and in the surrounding villages for Jeremiah would have been someone making pottery. That was a very common. For us, it's more of an artistic thing many times or a special decor. But for them, it was a part of the normal functions of life. You needed good potters. 
and pottery itself was a, a part of the normal experiences of life, just as dishes are for us. So, it was not some extraordinary place he needed to be. No, it was just an ordinary place, but directed by God to relocate him so that he could see, so that he would listen. God gives creatures, even in the natural world, different ways of seeing. A horse has eyes on both sides of the head. I guess they have to move their head both ways in order to see, right? I remember reading years ago about, a, about a, uh, an eagle's capacity at about 1,000 feet of altitude to be able to see into a tall grass something as tiny as a dime in the grass because of the, the power of that, that vision. And, and then, of course, many other types of creatures have unique ways of seeing. A, a common pigeon like would sit on, I saw some on the James River the other day just uh, sitting on these little uh, buoys. A common pigeon, had, their eyes have a range of color they can see that's much, much more than ours. A house cat cannot see color. A house cat can only see in shades of gray. But God has given a cat a capacity for a depth perception that is unique so that when a house cat leaps off of that sofa that they spend so much time on, that they can see where their feet are going to land, a kind of a function or a part of that house cat's uh, eyes, its capacity for vision. Even more intriguing to me is the dragonfly that has a compound eye, compound eyes, sort of a complexity of an eyeball, and God has equipped the dragonfly with his capacity to see like in slow motion, so the dragonfly can successfully zap its prey. And then there's this bird called the kingfisher bird that has two types of vision. There's a vision for the kingfisher when it's hovering over the water, but then there's a different vision of that same bird when she's submerged under water. That is, so God designed, even in nature, reminders that there's are, there are ways of seeing that we might not be accustomed to. And it's striking in light of that to realize that God gave us a prayer in Ephesians 1.16 that is a very unique prayer. And it is the prayer that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened. And the literal translation is the eyes of your heart. It's an expression that occurs in Ephesians 1, 16 and 17. Nowhere else in the entire Bible does this phrase, the eyes of your heart. And yet, for Jeremiah, it's as if God, the God, the creator who, who gave a dragonfly compound eyes, who who designed a unique capacity for vision in an eagle, in a kingfisher, that God wanted to relocate his 
prophet under pressure because God had called Jeremiah to a task that was far more difficult and intense and long-lasting than Jeremiah ever could have imagined at the beginning. Even when he was a tiny, a small boy, he'd been made aware of this calling. And of course, the calling itself came in the womb, that great, wonderful truth of Jeremiah 1.5. God says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you and I sanctified you and ordained you to be a prophet to the nation. So here's, here's the dilemma. If your Bible is open in Jeremiah 18, let's read a little further into why he was taken to the potter's house. Read at verse 2 again, and from the New King James Version we're reading, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause you to hear my words. That is, I'll enable you to listen in a different way when you see the potter. So, Jeremiah, then I went down to the potter's house, and there he was, making something at the wheel. Very common, there he was, and that vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter, so he made it again into another vessel, as it seemed good to the potter to make it. Here is a common experience in pottery. He's forming. He's working on the wheel. And as, the, as he's working with the wheel, there is a, there is a um, slight flaw in the way this, this item is being formed. And so it gets to a point where the potter understands well, this one is not going to work. The, the Jerusalem Bible paraphrased it like this, that just as potters often do, the pot was coming out wrong. So he started afresh and put it back into a, a, a pile of clay and started afresh on another vessel. The potter is remaking something that he started to make and there's an immediate attention of the potter and the vessel he's making of clay is spoiled in some way so he reworks it. The key phrase here is the reworking, the immediate attention to the reworking and then in verse 5 from the ESV, the Bible says, The word of the Lord came to me, O house of Israel. Can I not do with you what I have, what this potter has done? Can I not do the same with you? Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. Verse 7 in Jeremiah 18, If at any time I declare 
concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will pluck up and break down and destroy it. And if that nation concerning which I've spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I intended to do to it. And if at any time I desire concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will build and plant it, and if it does evil in my sight. Do you see all these ifs in this passage? If at any time, if at any time. Would you say aloud with me, if at any time. <laughs> now, here's something you could actually apply to our country today. We're burdened for our nation today. We're so deeply troubled about the corruption and the outright blatant assault on even the innocence of children that is being, that is being propagated by our government. And we share in something that's like Jeremiah's dilemma, in that, in that Jeremiah had bad news for those who were pursuing the worship of idols and the high places and the pagan practices. And Jeremiah was tasked early in life, as we saw, with a mission that God warned him would generate huge amounts of opposition. Now, there are many people today that are despairing of how the church, how, how a positive Christian message will, will penetrate the, the, the sheer rampant evil of our culture. We should take a cue from Jeremiah that we read earlier, Thy words were found and I did eat them. Thy words became the joy and the rejoicing of my heart. Why? Because I'm called by your name. Our country needs the word of God more desperately than ever before. And where will they get it if they don't get it from the hearts of people who have said, I don't care what the pressure is. I don't care what the political environment is. I don't care what the circumstances are. I'm going to feed my heart on the word of God. And we're going to apply the word of God to the tough issues of life. And we know God's immediate, intimate, individual care for each of us is alive and real. So just like for Jeremiah... He can open your ears. He can relocate you to where you begin to learn something you had not learned before. Jeremiah's dilemma, and the 21st chapter goes into some more depth there, is the fact that he was called to an unpopular message, to a message of judgment, but it always had this clay in the hands of the potter metaphor in the very midst of it. In every part of Jeremiah's ministry, that the best I can calculate, counting from his early call, he probably covered five decades. It's at least 50 years of active ministry until the last years after the Babylonians took the last people from Judah into captivity. And yet Jeremiah was called to be faithful to the character of God. And God is gracious to give us in this long book, Jeremiah's one of the longest book in the, books in the Bible, and he gives us a lot of insight into the struggles of his own soul. And he got really down and discouraged and, and even to the point of despair at times. But every single time, it was that infusion of the Word of God, God's Word proceeding to his heart that lifted him out of that unfathomable dilemma because what Jeremiah got in his heart was this simple fact about the molding of the clay. And it was that God had said to him, Can I not do... Now, this is wonderful. 
can I not do with you? Would you say the word me? Me? Can I not do with you? Would you say me again? Can I not do with you? Now, we could, it could be it's to the individual and it's to the nation. But can I not, can I not shape and form something new? Can I not do something new with you? I'd like to invite you to join me today to say, Lord, you can do something new with me. Would you say that with me? Lord, you can do something new with me. I know you mean that. And the beauty of this simple object lesson that God gives Jeremiah in the clay is that it, it, it models for us the fact that to the nation that we love, we can say, we know we can say this. America can have a new shaping of its future. It can be different in the future. Now, you look, you look at it and say, Pastor, oh, please. It's so, it's, it's spiraling down, Pastor. But listen, we've been in these times before where the, where the condition looks so bleak and so hopeless. This nation, over 245 years since its founding, has had some incredible, miraculous breakthroughs that could only happen if God had answered the prayers of burdened saints interceding for a country astray. Is that not true? There have been some cliffhanger moments. There have been some points in America's history where the very survival of liberty hung on a slender thread. And yet God answered the cry of multiplied, many unknown, many in heaven. We'll meet people in heaven one day and they'll be recognized. This was a grandmother who interceded for her country and wept bitter tears for America and God used her prayers. Oh yeah, there's going to be a lot of that. But now let's bring it back to the individual because God is saying to Jeremiah, he's saying, can I not do with you what I did with that? I believe Jeremiah at that potter's house, I believe it was a life-changing recognition of the mighty way that God was directly involved in his life in forming and shaping him just as a potter with clay in the hands of a potter, a skilled artisan would need to prepare her clay and her workspace just as many of you who may have worked with pottery uh, or art. And you know, you prepare that space. Preparation. Almighty God was showing the prophet Jeremiah I've already prepared a way for you. You. Say it again, me. <laughs> me. Oh, it, it, you can't get enough of this, that God loves the individual and says, I will reshape. Uh, and yet, here's something interesting. He shapes it just like a potter. He shapes it as the wheel spins. <laughs> God when we're open to listening and our ear to be open, there will be things in life that are kind of spinning, spinning, spinning around. And as life spins, typically in those days, it's a modern version of it, but in a modern picture of it, but in those days, it was not just a wheel. In fact, the Hebrew text has the word plural, wheels. 
uh, on the potter's wheels because there was a wheel at the bottom spinning and a shaft between and the wheel at the top. And we might say that the, the potter's feet closer to the ground might reflect God is close to our earth-bound problems. He came in His only begotten Son. John 1.14 says He became, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us to get in this earth with us, to get in the troubles of this ground with us, so that His life spun for Jesus. He modeled the fact that it was by the Word of God alone that He prevailed. And then the top wheel is the spinning. We might say, that's the part we can't really see what's happening right now. We can't see exactly what God is shaping. Uh, but the shaping of the clay and the spinning of the wheel is under the control of the potter. God Almighty promised us that He will, he will form and He will shape. So not only did He prepare the clay, not only is He working with us while life is spinning, but also we can say that God is examining us. A, a smart artist would be examining the product as, you might say, quality control is in force. And the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, is examining us. The Word of God examines us. Didn't we read in Psalm 19 this morning that, that, that David, as he talks about the the priceless word, sweeter than honey, more valuable than gold. Then he says in that 11th verse of Psalm 19, By these your servant is warned. Let the words of my mouth, meditation of my heart, be acceptable. How could that be? Let the word of God examine. The potter examines the product. And then the most beautiful part. This is the transformational grace that God foreshadowed to Jeremiah about what the gospel would bring to the globe. And that is, the potter says, he'll rework. I see this thing spinning, and I see a flaw on this vessel. Oh my, maybe I can mold it. Maybe I can massage it. Maybe I can knead it. No, no, no. It's, it's moving the wrong way. I, I love, I try not to interrupt her when she's on a painting, but I love the way Becky works in her canvases. And you know, there's time, any, any artist, you're going to get to a point and you say, this canvas, oh, I can't fix this. I'm going to have to get a new canvas. Potter says, this one, it's not going to work. But what? The clay's still wet. So he's molding it together. And God is saying, when you're in Christ, there's a reworking God can do for you and will do for you. I want to close by asking you to look at how this could happen for us in a practical way because if you look at this in light of Jeremiah, you see Jeremiah had the task of this, of this clay reworking being presented to Jeremiah that first you can give hope to the nation, you can give hope to the nation because the nation is in the hands of the sovereign God. And you can preach, you can proclaim that if at any time, would you say at any time? Say if at any time. Do you know, friends? Say it one more time with me. If at any time. 
Do you know that applies to America today? There's not a time in this country's history that America is absent from God the potter. Would you say it again with me? If at any time. Now he accents that to Jeremiah about the nation. But then he zeroes it in on Jeremiah's heart. And he says, Jeremiah, can I not do with you <laughs> just like that potter? But here's the kicker. The only other time that potter is referred to as an analogy, analogy in the prophets is Isaiah's term. And it's striking that when Isaiah raises it, it's the one time that Isaiah refers to Yahweh as Father. Now, we know that anticipates the New Testament, Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus then began to say, now you can say our Father. So it's very striking, because it's unusual in the Old Testament. In Isaiah 64, 8, Jeremiah, Isaiah said it this way. Would you read it aloud with me there? You are our Father, we are the clay, and you are our potter. Think about that now. God is revealed as the Father when the analogy of the potter is used. But how can that happen? Now, I want to close with asking you to turn to Romans 8. And we're going to go today with the New Testament application very quickly because this is what the shaping of the clay was aiming at. The difference in a potter and clay is the clay is an inanimate object, but guess what? God's working with people with stubborn wills, right? That's why he kept saying, if at any time, if at any time, if at any time, you hear me, <laughs> you can say, Lord, take my clay, take me and make me wet again, <laughs> make me wet clay again. In fact, I believe what Justin led us in this morning, what God's called us to do when we worship, it's part, worship is part of that, of that preparing of the clay. Bring my life to God. Keep this clay moldable in your hand. And then Romans 8 tells us why we need that. Now, very quickly, this is why you can walk in it. <laughs> Romans 8, chapter 8, verse 5 says that to be carnally minded, to be constantly minding or thinking about our human desires and our human capacities ultimately leads to death. Doesn't mean that everything about humanity is bad. It just means that carnally minded means that we're looking at the flesh. We're depending on human capacity. Those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. God had said to Jeremiah, arise. Say arise with me. Arise. Go to the potter's house, and when you see, you'll be able to listen. What you see with the potter's shaping of that clay and the reworking of the flawed clay, ah, now you can listen. And then look at Romans 8. Verse 11, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, 
we're debtors not to the flesh to live according to our human capacity, he's saying, but if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And then, verse 14, for all who are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Jeremiah is like this early foreshadow. It's a snapshot of the potter's house of what God will do in, in magnificent fullness in Romans 8. In other words, Romans 8, 12 to 14 is saying it's not an uncommon thing now like it was in Jeremiah's day. It's not an uncommon thing now for the Lord to redirect you to show you what you need to see in Scripture so that you can hear. He'll take us places. He'll show you something, and you'll say, oh, now I understand. Simon Peter did that. On the, on the, on the housetop of Simon the Tanner in, in Acts chapter 10, Simon Peter, who had never shared a meal, think of it, he was an adult male, grew up fishing around the Sea of Galilee, but had never shared a, ma- a meal in the home of a Gentile, not once, his whole life. Never broken bread with a non-Jew. It, it, was, it was forbidden. And God said, God shows him the gospel. Jesus is raised from the dead. God has destroyed that wall of partition. And now, Peter, rise up. Would you say arise? He said, rise up, Peter. It's a new day. Romans 8, 5 to 14 is saying, rise up, church. Let the Holy Spirit open your eyes to what? Jeremiah saw the faithful God who, like a potter, sees the flaws. He sees the flaws in America. And he hears the cries of intercessors. God, deliver our country from this corruption. Deliver our country. God, you're the Lord over America. And then, as he sees the flaw in your life, in our lives, and your, your, your life is spinning on the wheel. And you see that flaw. And you say, oh, I don't like this. <laughs> the Lord says, I'm the potter. You're the clay. But you're a certain kind of clay. You're not an inanimate object. You have a will, a heart. Just last week. Jim was teaching us about the heart. It's the heart of the matter Jesus was aiming at in the Sermon on the Mount. The heart, it's the heart. Am I responding to you from my heart? I know, I know he wants that for us. Let's pray. Lord, I ask you today that the reality of this moving into the preceding word of God, the word of God coming to the heart and letting us know you're the potter we're the clay but we're not in inanimate clay we're a we're a clay with a will we're clay with ideas of our own we're clay with our own kind of waywardness so we say today in worship and we say today in prayer and we we say today in this church lord god that you take us as clay and now do the remaking do the reworking in our lives before we step out into this day and Accept the joyous adventure of the month of October ahead of us. May you maybe single in your mind something you'd say, Lord, I, I know 
I know that my heart is in your hands, and I know that you're my father, and I know that you're my potter. And now, Lord, I'm just going to give this area over to you. Maybe there's something you're thinking about right this minute that's maybe in your life. You might say, I I want to see, I want to know the Lord is reshaping and reforming something in me. It might even be your vision for worship. It might be how you see missions. It might be your quiet time with God. It might be your relationship with your wife or your husband, as we talked about briefly earlier. It may be something about your, your children and what you want to see for them. And, and, and maybe, there's a, maybe you're aware there's a flaw in the way I'm approaching some things in my life. Lord, take this wet clay of my willing, my willing and worshiping heart. Shape it, Lord, we thank you for it. May your grace and peace abide and expand in the heart of every person who just says, Yes, Lord. I'll arise, I'll arise.